Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Monday, December the 20th. 2021 Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you once again on the podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the Bama Online podcast, we certainly hope you'll do so. Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find us, the Bama Online podcast. If you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate it as well. That's right, December the 20th. I think we've officially reached that point where not even Amazon can help us. I mean, we're actually going to have to leave the house, leave work. We're going to have to find time to actually get into some shops at this point. And I am notorious for being Mr. Procrastination when it comes to Christmas gifting. I have absolutely zero done at this point. Fortunately for us, the kids are all grown. So it's as simple as, hey, here you go. Visa card, Visa card, Visa card, a Visa card for you, a Visa card for you, and a Visa card for you. It's as simple as that. And then as far as nephews and nieces, they're all grown too. And we've reached that point as an extended family. Maybe you're in the same boat where it's draw for names time. We don't do the Christmas gifts for each and every person in the extended family. Why would you? I mean, come on, we're adults now. Christmas is for kids, right? As far as the big presents and you know the boatload of gifts and all that stuff i mean once you once you turn 21 at least i mean maybe even 18 that should be about the cutoff so we do the drawing of names and even from that perspective you know you show up at the family gatherings on christmas day and that's what it is too it's become gift card season really you know restaurants uh the sporting goods stores, what do they call them? The DKIs, the DYIs. I guess it's do it yourself places uh, like Home Depot and Lowe's. DIY. That tells you how much time I spend doing it myself, right? When I can't even get the can't even get the abbreviation for do it yourself correct. But yeah, a lot of gift cards this time of year. I've got to actually take care of that business here in the next couple of days. I'll tell you another way that you can do it too, though. You might still have time at Homefield Apparel. If you go to homefieldapparel.com, you can get all of your Bama gear right there at homefieldapparel.com. They've got some really cool stuff. The vintage look, uh, some looks that are totally exclusive to homefieldapparel.com. Great, great stuff. Very comfortable gear as well. The finest in materials and fabrics. Feels good on you. Looks good on you. Homefieldapparel.com. And even if you're a little bit late for Christmas, you still got time before the college football playoff gets underway here in a couple of weeks with Alabama taking on Cincinnati, of course, in the Cotton Bowl in the one semifinal. So go to homefieldapparel.com, and if you enter Bama247 at checkout, the checkout code, Bama247 on that first purchase, you're going to get 15% off your purchase. Hey, still a lot going on, even in the days leading up to Christmas. There is bowl football to consider. You had a big day on Saturday. You got some SEC teams getting into action, a couple of them, here in the next few days in advance of Christmas. You got NFL football into Tuesday of this week for, well, for reasons we'd rather not be the case. You got holiday hoop season. 
again, another sport that has been impacted by COVID cancellations here of late. And of course, one game that has been altered significantly, I would say, the CM Newton Classic set for Tuesday evening in Birmingham at the newly refurbished Legacy Arena. Instead of a top 25 team in Colorado State as Alabama's opponent, Alabama will now face legendary coach Bob McKillop and the Davidson Wildcats. That's right. The alma mater of Steph Curry set to make its way on late notice to the Magic City. I believe uh, it worked out. Davidson had a cancellation because of COVID midweek this week as well. So the two teams will get together in the CM Newton Classic, 6 p.m. Central on Tuesday evening. Should be a good one. We'll get more into that game coming up a little bit later in the podcast. We'll break it down a little bit. Crimson Tide coming off a one-in-one week in men's hoops following a loss at Memphis midweek and then a gritty grinding win over the in-state Gamecocks of Jacksonville State. Also around the SEC, we talk about a couple bowl games coming up involving SEC teams. you got a lot of quarterback movement. Well, you've got a lot of quarterback movement, and then you got a couple quarterbacks that are actually going to stay put. you got Bo Nix going from Auburn to Oregon. Some irony there. Wasn't Bo Nix's first start against Oregon a couple of years ago? I think it was out in Dallas at Jerry World, and Knicks uh, had a big play late. I think the Seth Williams maybe to beat the Ducks and Mario Cristobal at the time. Mario Cristobal now, of course, at the University of Miami. And then you got Max Johnson going from LSU to Texas A&M. The Aggies, of course, also landed. Max's younger brother, considered to be one of the top couple of tight ends in the 2022 cycle. Spencer Rattler makes the move from Oklahoma to South Carolina, where he will reunite with former Oklahoma staffer Shane Beamer. And then again, you've got some guys that are hanging around. Hendon Hooker recently announced that he will return for another season with the Tennessee Vols, not going to opt for the NFL draft. Miles Brennan went in the transfer portal, but now he will stay put at LSU. You've had the quarterback fallout. It's been sort of amazing to watch the last couple of years, not even the last couple of years, really the last 12 months or so with T.J. Finley jumping from LSU to Auburn, Max Johnson going from uh, LSU and also staying in the SEC West to Texas A&M. Look like Miles Brennan might be on his way out, but it's Brennan that's actually going to hang around apparently. Garrett Nussmeyer, the freshman also in that mix for new coach Brian Kelly at the quarterback position, and you sort of wonder what's going to happen with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss post-Matt Corral. You know, the Rebels were in that mix for Dylan Gabriel previously of Gus Malzahn's UCF program, but Gabriel, it turns out, will head to UCLA. Now, Lane still got some irons in the fire where the transfer portal is concerned. So uh, you could certainly still see in addition for the Rebels in the not-too-distant future behind center. Otherwise, you're looking at Luke Altmaier, uh, a freshman this year, uh, that could be in that mix, a guy that Alabama was involved with in the recruiting process a year ago. Uh, but we'll see how that plays out for Ole Miss. And again, just movement in general with the transfer portal in play. Alabama, 
uh, expected to be even maybe more a part of that in addition to what we saw last week with the addition of Eli Ricks, previously of LSU Ricks, one of the very top overall prospects in the transfer market this time around, the talented cornerback. So uh, we'll get into some of that a little bit later in the podcast as well. You know, right there at BamaOnline.com right now, Hank South has done a tremendous job with the 2022 2022 signing period, early signing period superlatives. If you haven't checked that piece out, that's great stuff from Hank South. We'll take a little bit of a stab of that on our own here on the podcast today, get into some of those sort of, I don't know, predictions probably more so than anything else, but we'll do a little bit of that ourselves coming up in just a little bit. You got Alabama on the practice field. Uh, football-wise throughout the week. Nick Saban, by the way, you're going to hear from Nick Saban on Monday evening, so you'll get a heads up from the head coach himself. Uh, Charlie Potter, Kirk McNair, going to keep you up with all that. Alabama with some question marks going into uh, college football playoff prep last week, and you know, there's a lot of talk about Alabama possibly overlooking Cincinnati and some comparisons, some analogies made to, say, Alabama in the Sugar Bowl against Utah and uh, at the end of that 2008 season, maybe even Oklahoma. Uh, when you look at the end of the 2013 season in the Sugar Bowl, those games are nothing like this one because for the simple fact, everything is on the table. You're playing for a chance to play for the national championship. So, you know, look, if you remember well enough, that Sugar Bowl against Utah, that was not a connected Alabama team at that point. Season was over. Major disappointment after playing Florida extremely tough in the SEC championship game, only to come up a little bit short in Atlanta. Uh, and then, of course, the, the kick six game against Auburn in 2013 and Alabama having its championship run essentially snuffed on the Plains that season late and no, not a lot in the tank to take on Oklahoma in a meaningless Sugar Bowl uh, a month or so later. So couldn't be more different. And even if you still want to drive that sort of narrative, I think Alabama's question marks are going to help Nick Saban keep his team focused and centered because there are certainly plenty and they are critical in nature. When you look at the injury to John Mechie at the wide receiver position and you know what you're going to need to get done with the next guy or guys up, whether it's Ja'Cory Brooks, whether it's Treshawn Holden, you know how you start working through that from a depth perspective. That should certainly help with the focus on the offensive side of the ball. There's also the offensive line that we've talked about. Darian Dahlcourt, where is he at from that ankle issue? We saw some video and some pictures from practice last week. Looked like he was on the practice field and, you know, a possibility where returning to that starting lineup is concerned. I thought Seth McLaughlin turned in a valiant effort in the six quarters of action that we saw him in the second half against Auburn. And then, of course, in the win over Georgia in the SEC championship game. But make no mistake about it, there's a reason why Darian Dahlcourt was essentially the every game starter during the regular season. And some of that, even after he had sustained the ankle injury, he was still 
the guy that Alabama was attempting to go with there at center sands a game or so uh, as the starter at center. So I think Darian uh, gives you some power, you know, in some one-on-one situations. Uh, I think Darian is also a guy that you can do some different things with uh, in pass protection and in the run game when it comes to maybe his athleticism. So, you know, again, another question mark to help keep Alabama on its toes. I don't think that's an issue, again, at all. But for those folks out there that are sort of planting that flag and going to fly it right up until this semifinal matchup with Cincinnati, there's a couple of my answers to that. And even on defense, you know, when you look at the secondary right now and the cornerback situation and the injuries to Josh Job and the injury to Jalen Armour Davis and the possibility of Kool-Aid McKinstry making another start at one corner, possibly Kyrie Jackson, the junior college transfer, being thrust into a role of prominence. There's plenty Plenty of issues, plenty of questions on Alabama's plate to keep it right where it needs to be from a mindset perspective. And who knows, maybe some new faces out there this week uh, as the practice week moves along with some of the signees for the 2022 cycle having made their intentions known to enroll early and perhaps uh, go ahead and get involved on the practice field. We've seen it in recent years in the ramp up to college football playoff appearances by Alabama. We've heard Ty Simpson, the 2022 cycle quarterback signee, say he expects to be out there uh, as Alabama continues its on-campus bowl prep for the Cincinnati Bearcats. So, hey, let's get into some 2022 early signing period predictions for the guys that we saw Alabama add last week. And understanding... The situation is fluid, as we like to say. That's a big one, boy. If you've ever covered recruiting in your life, you got to understand that concept of fluidity when it comes to the ever-changing, ever-changing world of college football recruiting. And when I say that, I'm talking more so about with the transfer portal in play. And the first guy I'm going to point to with this 2022 cycle isn't a high school player, isn't a junior college player. He is the aforementioned transfer from LSU, Eli Ricks. So first to see the field for the 2022 Alabama Crimson Tide in terms of newcomers, well, I got to go Eli Ricks there, don't I? And his addition probably intrigued you a couple of different ways. And one of those being... What's the indication that Nick Saban and this coaching staff has maybe gotten already from, say, Josh Job, from, say, maybe even Jalen Armour Davis? Have one or both of these guys already let it be known that I'm on the way, I'm moving on? And I know you can look at Josh Job's season, and it wasn't exactly the sort of springboard effort that you would see or would like to see in terms of first-round viability for the 2022 NFL Draft. But you look at the roster for whatever that means. Josh Job listed as a senior. You look at Jalen Armour Davis. He's still listed as a redshirt junior. So 
If I were going to say one or both of those guys was going to come back for another year, I would probably lean more to Jalen Armour Davis, even with the issues that Josh Job had throughout the 2021 season. So I'll go Eli Ricks at the corner position. There'll be some competition there. Kool-Aid McKinstry, but again, you know, you could need two new corners. And especially if that's the case, it's hard to imagine a scenario where Eli Ricks who was LSU's best corner as a true freshman? That's right. Better, more effective than Derek Stingley Jr. in 2020. Could easily see Eli Ricks being a starter for Alabama in 2022. Least likely, the 2022 signee for Alabama, least likely to get tackled in the open field. I'm going to go with the pocket rocket, Aaron Anderson, the product. From the state of Louisiana, man, did Alabama do some damage in Louisiana once again, especially when you talk about skill players and Aaron Anderson, uh, 5'9", 185-pound, four-star wide receiver from New Orleans. You watch the tape of this guy, and it's not often, if ever, that you see the first guy get home against Aaron Anderson. He has elite speed, but he also has that short space quickness that you can certainly translate to the quick passing game, the return game as well. Very, very difficult to deal with in the open field. So Aaron Anderson, least likely to get tackled in the open field. Best tape. Now, look, this is done a lot via huddle. I go into huddle and I search each and every one of these signees and you end up having to piece together plays. You don't see many situations where you've got full game opportunities uh, to break down some of these guys. And so, but based on that, and with that as a caveat, I'm still going to go with Kendrick Law, another Louisiana product, really capped last week on a positive note for Alabama and picking him up, uh, a guy that from Shreveport, Louisiana, can hurt you in every phase of the game. I've written it. I've posted it on the BOL roundtable. Uh, my favorite tape of, of the guys that, that Alabama signed in the early period for 2022, I feel like he's a starter at multiple positions, potentially. If you want to put him at running back, uh, he can handle that. He's got that ideal size to project that way because he's 5'11", 195, six-footish, 190, 195. So he's got that projectable size and skill set that it it goes to playing running back. It goes to playing wide receiver. You watch him on defense in the middle of the field playing safety. He could certainly do that as well. Just uh, Just clip after clip. A very impressive stuff from Kendrick Law, the four-star athlete signee from Captain Shreve High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. Keeping it moving here, most important signee a year from now. Most important 2022 signee a year from now. To me, that's got to be Ty Simpson, the quarterback, the five-star quarterback signee, because it's easy right now, a year away, to project that Bryce Young will be a three and out at the quarterback position, barring something unforeseen, God forbid an injury or something like that. But Ty Simpson, a year now, a year from now, it's not all that difficult to envision him being in that situation similar to what Bryce found himself in this season, following the departure of Mac Jones. 
to the NFL draft. Bryce is a second-year player, steps in as the starter at quarterback. All he does is become the first Alabama quarterback to win the Heisman Trophy. Not making that type of projection for Ty Simpson. I like Ty Simpson a lot. I like what he's able to do both from the pocket and off-platform, extend plays, maintains passer mode during all of that. Um, you know, not a tuck it and run, check down kind of guy. Doesn't give up on his receivers. All those things. You like all the attributes, both physically and intangibly as the son of a coach, a championship quarterback on the high school level. You like it all with Ty Simpson. But when you just project what the quarterback room might look like or you're anticipating it to look like in a year's time, a little more than a year's time, it's easy to think, Ty Simpson, most important, 12 months from now. Mr. Intriguing, most intriguing prospect. You know, I think there were two guys here. I think Hank was in line with this, too, on his signing class superlatives uh, in terms of versatility. But I I used intriguing here because I I think it's going to be fascinating to see exactly where this guy ends up. But Emmanuel Henderson, the outstanding do-it-all player from South Alabama, the five-star, considered an athlete by some folks because at 6'1", 185 pounds, not necessarily the prototype running back in terms of body type, especially in an offense like Alabama's where it is a lot of between the tackles, it is a lot of collisions uh, when you also consider pass protection as a part of that, but... At the same time, you watch Emmanuel Henderson, and he seems to welcome those type of situations at his size and very effective as a receiver out of the backfield. And remember, Alabama's offense isn't just checkdown based with the backs in the passing game. They do design things with the running backs to attack the deeper parts of the field. The wheel routes that we've seen, especially in recent years with Najee Harris, uh, some of those different things, uh, they get pretty they get pretty versatile with their backs in the passing game. And of course, pass protection is still a big part of that. But where will Emmanuel Henderson land? Will it be in the backfield? Um, you got Jamarian Miller that you also signed in this class. And again, transfer portal. You're going to be keeping your eye on that as we talked with Tim Watts, site publisher for us at BOL here in the last week with Jameer Gibbs uh, among those running backs out there, the Georgia Tech transfer uh, at the time of this taping anyway. Uh, a possibility. Defensive lineman most likely to lead Alabama in sacks and tackles for loss at some point down the road. I'm going to go Curtis Perry. He's another guy. You watch his tape and uh, he's advanced in the way of negative plays and uh, getting after the quarterback. And he's a little bit of a tweener. I get that in terms of his size at 6'2 ish, 265 pounds. But You know, that kind of guy can still be very successful in Alabama's defense, the different packages that they use. Yes, he can play some end, the five technique uh, in the base defense, but as he adds a little more size, and I don't even think he needs to get to 290, 300 when you're talking about pass rush situations uh, inside from the nickel or from the dime rabbits. Uh, Hard not to watch this guy's tape and see what he does and not think that at some point in the not-too-distant future, perhaps, that Curtis Perry is going to be that dude when it comes to TFLs and quarterback pressure. Core special teamer 
in year one. The 2022 signee that I think will be very involved on special teams from day one. I'm going to go with linebacker Sean Murphy, the four-star, highly rated four-star out of Manassas, Virginia, right there on the cusp of that kind of five-star status. But Sean Murphy at 6'2", 215 pounds, he's another one of those guys. You watch his tape, versatile at the linebacker position is where it starts for him. Does some different things both inside. You'll see him outside on his tape. Uh, Based on the package, similar to how Alabama utilizes its off-the-ball linebacker at the inside spots. And I'm speaking more so to Christian Harris here in the last couple of years. But Murphy is that kind of guy. And so he also projects, whether you're talking coverage units, even return units, punt return, kickoff return, um, you know, punt coverage, kickoff coverage, the core four, not all that difficult to see Sean Murphy making that type of impact in the kicking game. The one who will make you forget the one that got away. In other words, Alabama maybe came up short with a player at a position, but I think this guy will help you as an Alabama fan forget about the one that got away. I'm going to go Amari Nyblack, an athlete prospect, 6'4", 225-ish pounds or so. He's going to make you forget about Jalil Skinner flipping from Alabama to Miami late last week. That was a big pickup for Mario Cristobal. Good for Mario, but I'll say this. With the way Alabama recruits, it's a bigger positive for Miami than it is a loss for Alabama because you still have a couple of tight end types in this 2022 class for Alabama when you talk about Elijah Brown, 6'5", 230, out of Dayton, Ohio. And then more specifically in relation to what Skinner brings to the mix at the position, Amari Nyblack from St. Petersburg, Florida. Very athletic. One of those guys like we see with so many tight end prospects these days. You watch his tape and as much as anything, you see him split out whether he's in the slot, in some cases even uh, wider than the slot. Amari Nyblack, who by all accounts was a camp phenom at Alabama last summer, I think he's going to be that guy at that sort of hybrid tight end position, like a Jalil Billingsley, uh, like a Brock Bowers, perhaps, of Georgia. Bowers kind of in his own neighborhood these days, the true freshman over in Athens, but That's the guy, I think, that will help Alabama fans forget the one that got away, Amari Nyblack for Jalil Skinner. Before we get out of here on a Monday, definitely want to continue the talk about Alabama men's basketball, the Crimson Tide, a six-point winner over a game, a bunch of Gamecocks Saturday night at Coleman Coliseum. Jacksonville State made that one interesting. Uh, Really, from start to finish, even after Alabama had taken a 15-point lead there later in the game, Alabama goes the final four-plus minutes without a field goal. And so this one ends up tighter than it needed to be. Alabama coming off that one-in-one week. Again, you had the midweek loss to Memphis that you had to take into account. Not the most crisp week of basketball from Nate Oates' team. A team that looked like maybe it was anticipating the upcoming break, but still sitting there at 9-2 and two following the win over Jacksonville State. 
some notes from that Jacksonville State game. Uh, it's good to see, once again, Keon Ellis put together back-to-back strong performances. Keon was a little bit of a shining light in an otherwise pretty abysmal performance up in Memphis by Alabama. But Keon, once again, uh, leads Alabama in scoring with 20 as 10 rebounds, so it's a double-double for Keon Ellis. And the Crimson Tide goes just 8 of 30 from three-point range. That's 26.7%. Quinterly, Javon Quinterly, better in the second half than he was in the first, but just a sort of inexplicable performance from Jaden Shackelford. Zero takes the donut, the outstanding guard for Alabama. 0 for 6 from the field, 0 for 5 from 3. Just not a memorable night for Jaden Shackelford in 34 minutes of action. So Alabama's big three at the guard position, Shackelford, Quinterly, and Ellis, in a game against Jacksonville State, all play 34 or more minutes in that six-point win over JSU. And so the Crimson Tide now having to sort of alter things here last second because Colorado State going on pause as a program because of COVID. And so Davidson steps in here late. Uh, Last non-conference matchup for Alabama before Tennessee opens SEC play for the Crimson Tide on December the 29th. Not a lot of fun last minute wise if you're Nate Oates and or his players to make the switch from a style of play that Colorado State employs even as a top 25 team to what you're going to see from Davidson on Tuesday night. This is a team that will screen the heck out of you. We'll also look to push the ball early in transition. Then you've got to account for secondary opportunities on the break. Uh, You'll see a trailer. You'll see a post get out and run early for Davidson. If they don't get the, the look they want off that, then you've got to be wary of the trailer post behind the point guard, typically, that's going to bring the ball up. Uh, because the trailer, a lot of times in Davidson's offense, is a guy that can knock down the three. And if nothing else, he's going to initiate the offense. He'll get the ball from the point guard, reverse the ball, and then the screens start happening. Everybody's screening for Davidson. So communication's going to be key for Alabama in this game on the defensive end. And look, it's not like Davidson doesn't have some solid individual talent. They've got a South Korean in Young Jung Lee, 6'7", wing guard type, comes into the game Tuesday averaging 18 points per contest. He had 32 against Charlotte in a win a few weeks ago. So Young Jung Lee, He's a guy that you'll see run to the corner in transition, look for the early three, but then uh, you know off the screen action, off the curl. Uh, he'll present challenges. He'll even play in the post from time to time. This is a Davidson team that either is going to get it from its starting five, or it's probably not going to get it at all. You know the starters for Davidson account for sixty-five of the seventy-five points per game that the Wildcats average. And it's not just Lee. You've got a guard and foster lawyer had 35 points in a win over Northeastern a few Sundays ago. Lawyer, 8 of 12 from 3 in that one. So with Lee and lawyer, sounds like a law firm, doesn't it? Lee and lawyer, uh, 85 and 88% respectively from the free throw line. You've got Michael Jones, a third starter, perimeter base type guy. 
who is 25 of 27 from the line so far this season through 10 games. So you've got three guys in Lee, Lawyer, and Michael Jones that are 85% or better from the free throw line. Now, the good news for Alabama is that up to this point anyway, Davidson doesn't get to the line a ton. And if you do foul one of those posts, they aren't as efficient from the free throw line. A couple sub-60% shooters from the line when you start getting into those Davidson posts. Now, Davidson shooting a little bit under uh, 42% from three. So you're going to have to guard the three-point line. They'll get them up, not at a rate like Alabama, but Davidson averaging about 23 threes attempted per game. Lee Lawyer and the aforementioned Jones, all 40% are better from three. Lawyer's a 53% three-point shooter. So he'll play on the ball, off the ball. You're going to have to know where he's at because he will snipe you from three-point land. Very efficient team offensively. Don't turn the ball over a ton. Uh, So it will be interesting to see what kind of game this turns into. All eight of Davidson's wins this season, uh, they have scored – the Wildcats have in the 70s. So this isn't a team that's just going to want to stylistically walk the ball up the court. I don't think think Davidson wants this game to maybe get into the 80s with Alabama, but when you look at the two losses for Davidson this season, they were both in games in which the Wildcats scored in the 60s, so it hasn't benefited them to get games in that type of mode. Uh, They're very, very content, again, with running their five-out motion offense in the half court. So uh, discipline, maturity, communication, those things are going to be in play for Alabama on the defensive end. And then I think Alabama, again, from a depth perspective, this is a place where you hope J.D. Davison is good to go. He had that little bit of a scare, it sounded like, watching that game Saturday night. Uh, Hyperextension of the knee, it looked like. Uh, didn't really play much at all in the second half, if at all, uh, in the win over the Gamecocks. So it'll be interesting to get an update on J.D. Davison, perhaps, from Nate Oates in advance of Tuesday night's matchup with Davidson. Uh, J.D., a big part of that Alabama bench. Uh, kind of a tight rotation against Jacksonville State as well for Alabama over the weekend. Eight guys saw action. Uh, just one of those played more than 16 minutes. Again, Davison with that injury in the first half. But Darius Miles gave Alabama 10 points off the bench. Alabama plus 18 with Darius Miles on the floor off the bench against JSU. Seven rebounds to go along with those 10 points. So some good stuff from Darius coming off the bench. That's going to do it for a Monday edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Again, keep it locked to BOL. Continuing coverage of preparation for the Cotton Bowl for the Alabama football team as it gets ready for the Bearcats of Cincinnati. Uh, We'll continue to keep you up to speed on everything we know on the recruiting front because it's just never over, as you know at this point. It's never over. You still got the late period coming up. You still got transfers looking to find homes in advance of the start of the spring semester. And Alabama doing its cherry picking in the transfer market, it appears, once again. So we'll have you covered from that perspective, Alabama basketball as well. Everything you want 
in Alabama Crimson Tide Athletics. We're going to touch on it at BamaOnline.com. It is the Bama Online Podcast. Again, if you haven't already, we'd appreciate you subscribing to the pod. A rating and a review while you're there would be greatly appreciated as well. Travis Ryer, hoping you have a great couple of days here. And we'll join you right here on the Bama Online Podcast real soon. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control-Alt-Desire, now streaming on Paramount+.